Good morning and welcome to each one. And a special welcome uh, to those who are visiting us and to those of you who are joining us online. My name is Ron. I serve as one of the elders at Greenbelt Church. Pastor Kevin is on sabbatical today. This autumn, we've been engaged in a sermon series entitled, What Would Jesus Undo? We're going to continue that this morning, but first, please join me for a moment of prayer. Dear God, help each of us to uh, capture the thoughts that you have for us. Help me to speak clearly. May each of us have ears that hear, uh, minds that comprehend, hearts that uh, respond to you with uh, gratitude and love and awe. Uh, Give us uh, tongues that encourage, uh, souls that obey, hands and feet that do. Hands and feet that serve you by helping others. We ask for these mercies in Jesus' name. Amen. We've talked about several topics during this uh, sermon series. And last week, Paul Racine was here, and he was talking about Jesus wanting to undo shame, worldly shame in our life. Because shame diminishes our self-worth. Shame corrodes our relationships with God and with others. And he contrasted that with um, godly, where's the word? It's get godly sorrow. And he made the point that godly sorrow leads to repentance. Repentance is a change of behavior. It's not just, I'm sorry, God. It's a change of behavior. And that leads to um, intimacy with God again, and perhaps greater intimacy than we had uh, before we went through that process. So what else might Jesus want to undo in uh, my life this morning or your life or perhaps our collective life, uh, you know, this part of God's kingdom that's known as Greenbelt Church? Well, one way to know uh, what Jesus is thinking is to listen to what he says or to read what he has said. We're going to do that. We're going to jump into Revelation chapter 1, verse 1. I've got all of these on my notes because then I don't have to skip around and lose my place if I was going into the scripture, but I encourage you to always use your Bible, right? And I've also got this in 13 fonts, so I don't have to put my glasses on and off either. I'm getting older now. Okay, chapter 1, verse 1, Revelation. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John. Okay, the revelation of Jesus. Apparently that word of, according to scholars, can mean two different things. It can mean from Jesus. In other words, the whole book of Revelation is coming, being revealed to us from Jesus. Or it can mean about Jesus. And as you're going to see, just in the little bit that we look at, that book does tell us a lot about Jesus. And so, in fact, after having prepared for this uh, message, I I tend to agree with those scholars that say it means both. Okay, let's see. To who? To John who? The servant John? John the apostle. John the disciple that it says Jesus loved. John the one who wrote the book of John, the three letters to the churches plus this uh, 
book that we're reading now. John, the one whose writings most clearly show that if we're going to be worshiping God, we're in a love relationship. This is not a duty uh, thing we're talking about here. Okay, skipping on down to... uh, Oh, I also wanted to add, John, the one who was Jesus' closest buddy on earth. I think he that those two guys were closer than Jesus was to his parents, Mary and Joseph. Just one indicator of that. When Jesus was hanging on the cross, one of the last things he said, he looked at his mother and he said, Dear woman, here is your son. And he's indicating John. And then he looks at John and he says, Here is your mother. And from that time on, Mary lived in John's home. Okay, skipping down to verse 9. I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and the kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus, was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. All right, the first half of that verse is the perfect summary of the gospel of health and wealth, right? your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus. Just sums it up right there. And he's on the island of Patmos. Patmos uh, is in the northwest corner of the Mediterranean Sea in the part that's called the Aegean Sea, or however that's pronounced, in between Greece and what we now call Turkey. So is, are we going to be talking about, you know, a Greek island holiday this morning? Afraid not, folks. It's a Roman penal colony in those days. And why is John in exile uh, on a Roman penal colony? The last half of the verse tells us that because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. John was too bold, too direct, too loudmouthed in saying, Jesus is the way, the only way to God. And by the way, there is only one God. So he managed to tick off just about everybody, right? The Jews uh, that didn't believe that Jesus was the way to God and all the Roman and Greek uh, people who thought there's a lot of different gods and particularly some of the Caesars and the emperors who thought they might have had a little divinity in them and they didn't like any competition. So it wasn't always politically correct to say those things. Okay, scholars tell us that this revelation and this book were written about A.D. 95. That's about 65 years after Jesus uh, was crucified. He died on the cross, and he rose the following Sunday. And we're going to celebrate those uh, events later this morning. So think about that, 65 years Two closest guys while Jesus walked on earth. Just imagine the reunion they're going to have. A couple of weeks ago, Diana and I went on a uh, little holiday trip. Well, not that little. When I got back to the garage, I checked the uh, trip meter. 2,201 kilometers. We circumnavigated Lake Erie and Lake Ontario. 
One of the stops we made on that trip was with a, a couple of friends of ours that we haven't seen for 13 or 14 years. The last time that we visited them was in Rankin Inlet. Now, that's on the northwest corner of Hudson Bay, you know, just about 100 or 120 kilometers south of nowhere. <laughs> anyway, so we stopped and see them. We had a great time reconnecting after 13 or 14 years. In fact, I'll, I'll tell you that the, uh, the lady Marge is the one who introduced Diane and I to each other. I won't tell you how, tell you how many years ago because my wife's here. <laughs> so let's uh, look at this reunion. Verse 10, still in chapter 1. On the Lord's day, I was in the spirit, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet. Verse 12a, I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. Verse 17, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. A little drama just to see if you're with me. And not to worry, I practiced that often when I was learning to ski. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. And he placed his right hand on me and he said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead. And behold, I am alive forever and ever. This is not God the Father who we're not allowed to look upon. This is not one of the uh, angel messengers who are usually scary to us uh, folks. I was dead and now I'm alive. This is Jesus. This is John's best buddy. So what happened to this reunion we were talking about? I think uh, basically you could say that Jesus is wearing a different hat. Actually, he's wearing a whole different uniform, folks. If you look at some of the verses that we skipped over, John attempts to describe what it was about Jesus' appearance that terrified him. One of the commentators I came across while I was preparing for this, I think, sums it up well. The overall impact of this revelation, and he's referring now to the whole book of Revelation, of Jesus is clear. There is glory. There is holiness. There is awesome majesty. And there is terror. And that brings us to part one of our big idea for today. Jesus is not a tame God. He's not. So we're asking ourselves, what else might Jesus want to undo in my life or in yours? And to do that, we're going to uh, go over uh, into the next two chapters of Revelation, chapters 2 and 3. And if you have a uh, red-letter edition of the Bible like I do at home, you'll see that those two chapters, the whole, every word is read. There's no uh, descriptive narrative or anything in there at all. It's a monologue from Jesus. And in fact, those two chapters include seven letters to seven different churches, historical churches in 95 AD, located in Turkey, kind of in a shape of a circle, going from Ephesus in the southwest around to Laodicea in the southeast. 
And the letter is addressed actually to the angel of each church. Now, the word angel apparently can mean three different things in this context. It can be a heavenly messenger, like a guardian angel. Wouldn't it be neat if Greenbelt has a guardian angel? And wouldn't it be neater if when we get to heaven, we can talk to that guardian angel and say, so, you know, how was guard duty from 19, I think it's 1974, to whenever uh, God intends, you know? And was there any, you know, evil spiritual cruise missiles coming at Greenbelt that, that you had to, you know, fend off and that perhaps we didn't even know about? You know, heaven's going to be an interesting place. Okay, a little bit uh, that I came across about Laodicea also while I was uh, doing my prep here. Uh, before we get into the letter, Laodicea was the wealthiest city in the whole region. Okay, the Roman province of Asia, which is the, what, the western half of what we call Turkey now. It's the wealthiest city in the whole place. They're at the crossroads of two trade routes. They have a pharmaceutical industry there. They have a medical school, and they make a salve, an eye ointment, that's uh, used all over the world. They also have a strong textile industry, and they produce a particular black wool specialty that nobody else is able to duplicate, and that's sold all over the known world. And they have a financial banking center as well. So, what message does Jesus have for these folks? Skipping over to uh, Revelation 3, verse 14. To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and the true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are... Oh, and I forgot to add... I forgot to add, they have a resource challenge, despite all their wealth. The trade routes where they settled that down, there's no water supply. But not to worry, they're part of the Roman Empire, right? They have an aqueduct coming 16 kilometers from Colossae, you know, Colossians, bringing their cold water in. And they have another aqueduct coming 10 kilometers from Hierapolis, from the hot springs. So yes, hot and cold running water. A.D. 95. You know, sometimes it seems like uh, bashing Western civilization is, is in fashion now, but really, hot and cold running water in A.D. 95? However, the cold water was lukewarm by the time it went to 16 kilometers in the aqueduct, And guess what? The hot water was also lukewarm by the time it went to 10 kilometers in the other aqueduct. So, carrying on with what Jesus said here, where am I at? Lost my place. Oh, here we go. Help if I pick up the right part of my notes. Okay, back to verse 15. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot, I wish you were either one or the other. So, because you are lukewarm, 
neither hot nor cold. I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich. I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you can become rich. And white clothes to wear so that you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so that you can see. You know, Jesus just nails them here, doesn't he? He takes the three things of their worldly blessings that they're proud of. And I think they have some right to be somewhat proud of these things. You know, their wealth, their textiles, uh, industry and clothing, and their eye self. But he takes those things and he uses them to illustrate their spiritual poverty. And I think we got a glimpse of that already when Jesus said a little earlier, you know, you say I don't need a thing. As soon as we start saying we don't need a thing, you know, that's a little scary. And then Jesus uses their resource challenges, you know, their limited supply of lukewarm water to illustrate their indifferent spiritual condition. And he uses our normal human reaction to lukewarm water to illustrate his proposed spiritual correction. I'm about to spit you out. And that gives us part two of our big idea for this morning. Jesus is not a tame God. And he is certainly not indifferent to indifference, is he? Okay, we want to reinforce that idea this morning. So I want each one of you to turn to your neighbor, somebody on the right or the left, or tap the person in front of you or the person behind you. And I want the, the fast talker in the pair to say the first part of our big idea for today, and I want the second person to respond with the second part. And I will do my part with Joanne if I can. Yep. Jesus is not a tame God. Jesus is not indifferent to indifference. Thank you. Okay, well done. Now let's fast forward about 1,923 years from A.D. 95 to 2018. How's Ron's spiritual pulse this morning? Well, my regular pulse is certainly active, standing up here in front of you people, I can assure you. But am I still excited about my relationship with God? Are you or I bored with Jesus' words? Uh, you know, do we uh, change mental channels on the remote when the prompting of God's spirit gets a little too close to the mark, like he was when he was talking to the Laodicea, Laodicea those people in Laodicea?
Do I value or appreciate you, my brothers and sisters in Christ? Are you and I committed to our spouse and to our family? Are my ethics and my morals, are they helpful or are they hurtful? Are you and I responsible stewards of our health, the bodies that God has given us, and our wealth? Do I really care about anyone else at all? So here we are in Ottawa, the wealthiest city in the eastern part of the province of Ontario. Now, we are not renowned for our textile industry, but we do have a high-tech industry, number one. We are not noted as a financial center, but we are a governance center for this great country of ours. We may not have a pharmaceutical industry here, but we enjoy a uh, wonderful health care system, right? There's three things, just like Laodicea. So we're doing pretty good, aren't we? So what is the prognosis for Greenbelt Church and our sister churches in Ottawa based on our collective vital signs? Thinking about the first and greatest commandment, uh, be friends with the Lord your God with half your heart and half my soul and uh, part of my mind uh, in my and your spare time. How are we doing here? And the second is like it. Be disinterested in others. You know, as you and I are apathetic regarding ourselves. Is that apathetic? Or is it just pathetic? We don't say that. We don't even think that, I don't think. But do we live that way sometimes? I do. Confession time is good for the soul, I say. I don't always love the Lord my God with all my heart and with all my soul, with all my mind. But I'm a work in progress. You know, God's spirit lives in me. It's got a lot of work to do. You know, hopefully next year, Lord willing, I'll I'll love God with a little more of my heart, my soul, and my mind. And hopefully now I love the Lord my God more than I did 10 years ago or even last year, you know, in 2017. Okay, the outline that Pastor Kevin gave me says that each message is supposed to have a uh, purpose. Makes sense, eh? Wouldn't want to be wasting all your folks' time here. Okay, I would uh, propose that our purpose this morning is to encourage each other to move away from indifference. That's something that Jesus would want to undo any place he finds it, I'm sure. So let's try that commandment again. The first and greatest command, you're going to help me out here. The first and greatest commandment, love the Lord your God with and with and with. You heard that, Jesus. We're not doing so bad as we thought. Okay, and the second is like it. Love your 
Thank you. Okay, and that, in fact, is uh, contained in the good news according to Matthew in chapter 22, verses 37 to 39. You know, it's interesting. Jesus was quoting from Deuteronomy for the first commandment, Deuteronomy 6, 5, and he was quoting from Leviticus 19.18 for the second commandment. But it's so like Jesus to not invent something new necessarily, but to take two things that were there in the Old Testament, put them together, and emphasize them. And in fact, in the next verse, in verse 40, he says, all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Okay? So the whole Bible, if I had one here, I'd hold it up. The whole Bible it hangs on those. Without those two commandments, it's like a, I don't, like a car without an engine, right? It's, just, it's not the same thing at all. Okay, so here we are in Ottawa at Greenbelt Church in 2018. And uh, I think we're going to further reinforce uh, what we're trying to do this morning, again, by getting in your pairs and uh, the uh, quick talker in the group saying the first uh, thing that's going to come up on the screen, hopefully, and the uh, partner replying uh, to that. And if Joanne will be so good as to allow me to uh, interact with her again, we'll be partners. I wonder what Jesus would write to Greenbelt Church this morning. Can you and I make a difference about indifference? I think we can. <laughs> okay, and Joanne and I actually went a step further than what's on the screen. We said, yes, we think we can. not finish the uh, letter to the church in Laodicea. Let's go to uh, verse 19 where we left off. This is Jesus talking still. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Okay, so that tough worded letter that we were looking at, that was not the final sentence, you know, of the court. It wasn't the just and well-merited punishment that Jesus could have handed out. No, it was a WWJU tough love demo, right? To those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. And repentance is still an option, right? Continuing in verse 20, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. Okay, in that culture at that time and to this present day, when somebody, and to a lesser extent in our own culture, when someone invites you to eat with them, it indicates a level of acceptance, a willingness for friendship, a uh, opening for social intimacy, doesn't it? And you notice that Jesus 
standing at the door and he's knocking. Now that door is the door to the church, to the heart of the church in Laodicea. We all have a door to our own heart. There was a uh, famous painting done in the 19th century where the artist depicted the door uh, all overgrown with weeds and, and vines and everything hanging on, maybe cobwebs too, I'm not sure about that part. All of that stuff on there, indicating some, what I would suggest, some older person who had a hard heart who had never opened the door, you know. And the interesting thing was there's no handle on the outside of that door where Jesus is standing knocking. So if this is the door to Ron's heart, you know, I can say no to the God-man who walked this planet 2,000 years ago, who came and he died a horrific death, you know, to pay the penalty for all of my screw-ups, all my evil thoughts, desires, words, deeds, and yours as well, uh, for, my, for our behavior, you know, I, we can be complacent about Jesus' death. We can disbelieve his resurrection three days later. Or we can open the door if when we realize that God is God and that we are not. If when we beg forgiveness for living like you and I were the center of the universe. If when we realize and confess our absolute unworthiness to talk to him or to be in his presence, if when we accept Jesus' blood as the only acceptable payment to this righteous and holy God for all of our shortcomings. We can open the door to intimacy with God, to his spirit coming to live within us. Now that still blows me away. Spirit coming and living within within this body, the way I picture it, you know, with, with Ron. To having Jesus provide some direction to our life, you know, some purpose, some meaning beyond the grave. You know, we're all going there. I mean, that's not rocket science, right? So what does life mean if we don't have something that goes right on through and out the other side, right? Hope I'm not speaking too low here now. same Holy Spirit that uh, helps each one of us to uh, love him more, with more of our being, to want to uh, follow his direction for our life. And one of the directions, actually commandments, that that Jesus has given us is to remember his death on our behalf, to do that periodically. And we're going to celebrate communion this morning. And this celebration is open to all who follow Jesus. 
that applies whether you consider Greenbelt Church to be your home or you're just visiting with us or you're uh, joining us online. On the other hand, if you're not yet following Jesus and you're still living in your pre-Christian part of your life, then just let the uh, bread and the juice pass by for today. I would request uh, those who are uh, been requested to serve to uh, come forward at this time. When you uh, receive the bread, please hold on to it after you receive it. And when the distribution is complete, uh, we'll be reading from Matthew uh, chapter 26, and then we'll consume the bread together. And we'll uh, use the same procedure for the juice. Reading from the good news according to Matthew, verse 26, chapter 26. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, gave thanks, and broke it. And he gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat. This is my body. Continuing in verse 27 and 28. And he took the cup. He gave thanks. And he offered it to him, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Would the worship team please come forward at this time and would you join me in prayer uh, for a moment? Dear Father God, help each one of us to love you with more of our heart and more of our soul and more of our strength, Lord, and more of our mind, as I said in Deuteronomy. And help us to love each other, our brothers and sisters, and to love those who don't know you yet more closely the way we love ourselves. We ask these mercies in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen.